Hey, thank you for listening to the Trinity Podcast. We're talking about the Psalms, the Bible's prayer book, and mixtape. This is a podcast for Trinity Episcopal Church and for you, wherever you are. We're on Psalm 6. Let me know what you've been thinking about this series or email me to introduce yourself at gail at trinityepiscopal1.com. We're on Psalm 6, so we're talking about pain. Here's where I came across the themes of Psalm 6, Out in the Wild, this week. This article was in the Christian Century. It's called, I'm a Philosopher, We Can't Think Our Way Out of This Mess. I'm throwing my lot in with the poets, the painters, the novelists, and the songwriters by James K.A. Smith. He writes this, As a young Christian philosopher, I wanted to be the confident, heresy-hunting Augustine, vanquishing the pagans with brilliance, fending off the Manichaeans and the Pelagians with ironclad arguments. As a middle-aged man, I dream of being Mr. Rogers. When you're young, it's easy to confuse strength with dominance. When you're older, you realize the feat of character it takes to be meek. I used to imagine my calling was to defend the truth. Now, I'm just trying to figure out how to love. Ooh. It's not that I've given up on truth. It's just that I'm less confident we'll think our way out of the morass and malaise in which we find ourselves. Analysis won't save us, and the truth of the gospel is less a message to be taught than a mystery to be enacted. Love won't save us either, of course, but I've come to believe that the grace of God that will save us is more powerfully manifest in beloved community than in rational enlightenment. And so he, uh, he continues to write about his experience of depression and seeing a therapist. And he says this, that his therapist had a remarkable ability to be with him in a, a way that embodied grace, but didn't feel like teaching or instructing. He says, our conversation wasn't a way to exchange ideas. It was an exercise in re-narration. If I was going to be restored to health, it was because my imagination was re-storied. My depression brought me to the limits of my intellect. The healing that came with therapy required the same displacement of intellect that Proust had been talking about. I didn't need to refine my knowledge. I just needed to carry a new story in my bones. And he writes about how this focus on God's story helped him to long for God's justice. Oh, and he had this great phrase, enjoy the subtle conversion of the imagination. James K.A. Smith, writing for the Christian Century. Here's Psalm 6. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are shaking with terror. My soul is also struck with terror. While you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and save my life. Deliver me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who can give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. I go weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and struck with terror. They shall turn back and in a moment be put to shame. 
So quick note, Sheol is a place of nothing after death. It's not an afterlife, just dust and nothingness. You start to get the resurrection of the dead in Isaiah and some other places, but it's not entirely consistent throughout the Hebrew Bible. So, Sheol. Verse 1, I'm, I'm hearing, Lord, do not try and teach me a lesson. This is not your teachable moment. I'm in too much pain and I'm too tired. Wow. Relatable. The psalmist doesn't trace the narrative, doesn't do an autopsy, just describes the pain. It may be physical illness, it may be anxiety, it may be depression. Whatever it is, the line about the bones shaking with terror is um, just heart-deep pain. This is a prayer and a plea for healing. Verse 9 answers the prayer of verse 2. Lord, heal me, my bones are shaking with terror. And this whole psalm is a great example of prayer because it shows us that we can ask for what we want. We can use imperatives for God. Do not rebuke. Be gracious. Heal me. Turn. I think the language of prayer that comes easily to me, to us, to others, is um, kind of like vague subjunctivity. Lord, if it is your will, leaving it up to God. But this psalm says, no, God is healing for you. Ask for it. God is healing you. Ask for it and have that assurance. This psalm says God accepts the full range of human emotions. Um... God might chasten you, but God's listening to you. Conflict and struggle are an expected part of life. And then the idea that our personal struggles can help others. Because remember, uh, a psalm is a liturgical moment used in worship. Um, so this is a liturgical retelling of a time in the psalmist's life when they have felt pain and God's strength got them through it. There's no narrative resolution outside of God. We don't know by what other means anything changed. So maybe nothing changed outside of God's work in this. And this is 100% pure testimony. So speaking of the psalm as a worship moment, speaking of this kind of testimony, I'm thinking about how do we make or how do we keep our congregations places where we can be this honest. And as I think about that question, how to keep congregations places of emotional honesty, um, my breath was taken away by a passage in a book that I've been reading for Lent called Forgiven, Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven, Community Practices for Making Peace by uh, L. Gregory Jones and Celestin Musicura. And they say, um, we often fail to recognize in congregational life that the mere image of violence is what the ancients called melancholia, what we might name depression or more precisely, despair. I'm sorry, this is a real downer, but let's continue. This is the internalization of the effects of violence. It happens when we don't think we have the strength to overwhelm our enemies or when we think Christianity equals being nice and therefore bottle up our feelings of being wronged until eating us up inside, they explode in a rage we cannot control, end quote. Um, 
We have to be more than nice. We have to point to God's loving kindness, seek to follow it, and make practices of community accountability to hold us together when we all fall short. I can't remember where I saw this, but I saw this idea like don't have boundaries, have guardrails. And I think in a like contemporary pop therapeutic discourse, um, we put a lot of pressure on boundaries, but if there's always that pressure to re, um, renegotiate every time or every instance, um, that's for people with lots of emotional energy. I like, and I think we have a lot of scriptural examples of guardrails instead. All right, lot to think about, but that means something to pray about. Lord, hear all of these cries to you. Hear our emotions, whether they be joy or sadness or self-defeat, as places to hear your voice and your strength. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen.